Welcome to the Runderless Show. Join us, two friends, running the trails of life for some miles and laughs. Listen as we explore the human connection with running through guest interviews, stories, and our experiences. Learn from scientists, doctors, athletes, adventurers, authors, to the doers of big things. On episode two, Casey Thieveridge joins the podcast. Casey's a father, a husband, an ultra runner with a very successful career. And now Casey is an author. Casey started running 18 years ago after a bet with his sister-in-law and he completed his first marathon a little over a year after that bet. Contrary to most, Casey actually progressed down in race distances before ramping back up to the marathon and beyond. Casey started running ultras in the spring of 2013. Casey is a humble runner. He likes to say it's not about the finish times, but about the training and the experiences, and we couldn't agree more. To say that Casey has trail chops would be a drastic understatement. 21 runs of more than 100 miles with seven of these being sub 24 hour finishes. Burning River, Indiana Trail, Cloud Splitter, Mohican, Eastern States, Big Dog's Backyard, Tunnel Hill, Hellbender, The Far, Quebec Mega Trail, Burning River, Western States, and the Wild Oak Trail. You know, it might be actually easier to list the races that Casey hasn't run. We'll talk about Casey's running and his writing journey, which led him to publishing his first book, Running and Rambling, A Decade of Chronicles and Reflection. Casey's our first guest, and he's a new friend of the podcast. We can all learn from Casey's experiences, and he may not know it yet, but Casey is going to be our go-to for any ultra distance and beyond we're happy that you joined us and thank you to casey keep on running and rambling Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Runderless, the show where we talk about running and the experiences all around it. Um, so this is our second episode. I'd like to welcome Casey to uh, to uh, the show today. Uh, now, Casey, um, what you don't really realize is that you're a very, very important guest to us because without you, we actually may not have actually put things together to have a show. Uh, once we finally secured you as a guest, we actually I keep on saying actually, but we had to pull things together, get a logo, get a profile set up, and really get this thing moving. So thank you very much for your time. From what I understand, you are a a humble local legend uh, of the area. You've ran countless runs already. And for the show, I'm brand new at running. Todd has a little more experience than I do. So I'm hoping to just really hack into your experiences to try and help 
not only myself out, but our listeners uh, into becoming better runners. So to get things started, what inspired you to start running? <laughs> well, I, I don't I don't know if it was uh, inspiration. Well, I know it wasn't. It was a bet. Um, it was a bet with my sister-in-law. And um, if you know me and my sister-in-law's relationship, uh, I don't lose to her. So it was kind of one of those things where we were much younger and um, she had come home actually one Sunday. Well, it was in October um, and I was over at the in-laws house and she was still living at home and me and the wife were visiting and she came in the door and I just do what I normally do, which is tease her and say, what have you been up to? You know, where are you at? Where are you coming from type thing? And she says, oh, I was just at the Detroit Marathon. And I was like, the Detroit Marathon for what? And she says, uh, oh, I was watching my friend so-and-so run the Detroit Marathon. And, you know, no knock on this friend. It was just more of a jab at my sister-in-law. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? Kind of puh, like whatever, a marathon. She says, you could never run a marathon. So I stuck my hand out, shook her hand, and promised her I would run the Detroit Marathon in uh, the following year, which was... (laughs) I don't know when that was, 2007 or something like that, maybe. So I had a, a year to uh, run the Detroit Marathon and really didn't know much about running at that point. Didn't know how long a marathon was. I didn't know anything. So it was an inspiration. It was a bet. It was a, it was a dumb bet. And uh, <laughs> a year later, I ran it. Good for you. And I imagine that there are a lot of learnings from even that first run. Um, I've heard stories of people that did not hydrate properly. Maybe they didn't have the right electrolytes uh, in order to keep them, um, you know, moving through the race. Did you have any kind of experiences like that too, that first run? Uh, yeah, all of that. Um, it did not go well. It was, uh, I swore off running, not running. I swore off marathons after that. Um, I really didn't train a lot for it in that year. Looking back on it, I know I didn't train a lot. During the time, I thought I trained a lot. I thought I did a lot of miles. I thought it was, I didn't have a GPS. I didn't know anything about running, you know, measured a couple distances by driving the car. Um, I I didn't know anything about training. I never ran with anyone, never looked up anything, never did any reading, just did it. Thought I ran a lot, but anyway, like I said, it, you know, come race day, um, thought I was in pretty good shape. You know, I was much younger at the time and, you know, I was, I always played baseball and was pretty active and somewhat athletic, I guess. Uh, I thought it was in good shape. Uh, that lasted for about 15 miles. And, uh, you know, it was a it was a big grind at the end and uh, got it done and swore it off. And I don't think I ran another marathon for about three years after that. I kind of kept going into lesser and lesser distances. <laughs> You know, I did a half marathon after that. And then I said, you know what, even that's too much. And then I did a relay with a bunch of family and friends. And and then later on, I was doing some 5Ks and 10Ks that I liked. Um, but then I kind of, you know, a few years later started thinking, I was like, well, I'm going backwards with this. <laughs> so, kinda, you know, that, that ego or whatever comes back in and says, I can do better in the marathon. And, so would you uh, say, yeah, Casey, kinda, that the... Uh your first running experience then, you know, you went right for the marathon, gave yourself a year. Did you fall into loving right o- uh, into running right away? Or would you say it took longer um, and it was a, a longer love story? 
Yeah, no, it wasn't. Definitely the love of running came way later. Um, those first few years were just uh, trying to prove something to myself. Definitely never to prove anything to anyone. I, I could care less what people think. It was, you know, other than my sister-in-law, I wasn't losing that bet. Um, and then the bet was nothing too. It was just like pride, right? There was no money yeah. or anything like that. It's just, hey, I'm not losing this. But uh, yeah, love of running didn't didn't come until way later um, when I stopped kind of really worrying about, um, you know, times and I, I don't know. I don't know when it came exactly, but it was definitely four or five years after I did. I think initially it was like staying fit, getting exercise, doing kind of hard things. I've always been motivated by that, I guess. I'm, I'm just, I'm one of those guys, right? Tell me, tell me I can't do something. And it's just how I'm wired maybe. So then from going all the way from marathon down to relays and then back or towards ultras, that must've been a massive leap in terms of the kind of training, um, planning, you know, nutrition, just everything around that. So what opened you up to ultras? Um, well, marathoning, I kind of was getting pretty good at it. I think, uh, I think I could have did better, but I, I definitely, um, I knew of a guy who was in our run group, really good marathoner. Um, and I heard he was doing hundred milers and I was just blown away by that because, you know, at the time uh, a marathon took a lot out of me and I kind of was of the belief that you could run one or two a year. And that was about all the human body could endure. And that marathoning was so hard. The distance was so far, but then I'm hearing this guy doing hundreds and like I had no concept of hundreds of time of, of anything like nutrition, planning, nothing like that, but just heard he was doing it. And it definitely was pretty interesting. So I, I decided to help him in one. Um, so he was running a hundred miler in, um, at uh, run Woodstock in uh, Michigan. So I went and joined uh, the end and he, um, I, I helped pace him in for the last seven miles. Uh, it was a death march. <laughs> um, I saw him at his lowest and at his worst. And um, I can tell you the exact moment that I was intrigued was when we crossed the finish line and he was in really rough shape. And um, someone else from a run group who was there came over to me and specifically said, promise me you'll never do this. <laughs> and uh, that sealed the deal. And then from then that on, I, uh, again, that thing kicked in of like, oh, really? You don't think I can do this or I'd be okay at it? Or it definitely sparked me and um, uh, pushed me over the edge. I was thinking about it beforehand. Obviously, that's why I went and helped him. But that statement really resonated with me because um, I, w I thought it was amazing. I, I didn't think it was dangerous. Um, I, I was with him. I, I saw the grit and determination and the no quit. And, you know, at that point, it's not even running like you're death marching it. It's, it's not. And that was just really fascinating to me. Um, no one's it's as it was about finishing. So that pushed me into ultras, but I, I didn't jump into hundred milers right away. No. Um, I did, a, I did some 50 K's and, um, and a 50 miler, actually the one that, um, Todd just recently ran the JFK. That was my first 50 miler. 
and then that kind of led into uh, training and stuff and and my first hundred which was about a year and a half after that whole episode so was that kind of progression casey something that you learned from others in the running community something that you learned from when you researched or something that you just thought yourself that you know what I'm going to slowly ramp up to get to this distance rather than just jumping in a hundred mile all at once. Yeah. Uh, a mix of both. I'd say, um, I, I did, uh, I was getting better at reading at that point. <laughs> My wife was really good at pushing me into reading and researching a little bit more. Um, so I did, um, you know, even marathoning, I kind of got Hal Higdon's book and that helped me. And then I knew right away for hundreds, I better get a book and learn about this. So I got uh, relentless forward progress. And uh, it's probably the best book for beginners, really. I think I got maybe a couple other ones, but I really remember that book helping me understand and break things down. Um, so it was it was a little bit of that for sure. But then it was also a little bit of just winging it. But my definition of winging it probably isn't the same as everyone else's. Um, I'm a pretty big numbers guy. I'm a spreadsheet guy. I'm a planner, an organizer. Uh, it's what I do for a living. So it, it's hard to break me of that. And that's really what f intrigued me the most. Like when I look back on it now and people say, why do you like the big distances? Why do you like ultra running and stuff? Well, it's because it's a lot more than running. You know, running is like shorter distances are very physical and it's just running. Um, I like the aspect of problem solving, of planning, um, making all these plans and things going terribly wrong and having to shift to another plan. I like that kind of stuff. And I like being, you know, kind of put on a spot to have to, to problem solve. So, um, so it was a combination of doing some research, but then putting my own twist on it. So I look back on it now, I did a lot of things that I do not do anymore, but I'm sure that's just because of experience and stuff. Like I over prepared and I over planned and I, measured every calorie and every bit of salt and sugar and everything else. And, oh man, those plans just never work anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, that's pretty much how I did it. So just kind of uh, to segue from there. Um, so as a brand new runner, I have not ran a race yet. And um, I'm still trying to get him to sign up for a race, but uh, so far unsuccessful. But okay. if I was to run an ultra, are there three tips or three things that come top of mind to you that you would provide as advice to any new runner that's willing to, you know, take that extra step and try and go for a yeah. long distance run? Yeah. So I don't know if I got three of them, but I'll tell you this much, something that I've learned and I've experienced with a lot of friends through the years. So when I started doing this, there wasn't very many people in the county doing this um, in this area. Um, there is a lot now. So I've seen a lot of success. I've seen a lot of failure. One thing I will tell you, if you want to run an ultra, you got to make it your goal. Do not put a whole bunch of different goals. Do not make, you know, oh, here's the next five ultras I'm going to run. No, you have to pick one thing. You have to put it out there and that has to be your primary focus. You have to be willing to throw away, you know, other races for it. You have to be willing to specifically train for it. So that means like when all your friends are going to do the nice fun half marathon somewhere or the 5k or 10k, if your training calls for something else, sometimes you got to stay away from that because you got to do your training. You have to do solo runs. You have to sharpen the mind, you know, as much as you sharpen the body and the muscles and all that kind of stuff. Um, mental training is huge. Like 
I, I joke all the time. You got to do some dumb stuff and uh, it helps you. And obviously as the distance goes up, that helps you too. Right. So um, yeah, when I did that at the beginning, that's what I've seen from people is they make mistakes because they put too many big goals too. And they don't step up in the distance, you know, like you got to start with a 50 K get good at them. Don't just survive one, like get good at it. And, and that, but good is, you know, definition of good is different for everybody. I, I'm not talking about hitting a, a certain time. I, I hear people say, Oh, you gotta hit this. You know, this is a fast time. Fast is relative. Like, well, I know a lot of runners fast is relative. You think you're fast. No, I know someone faster. He thinks he's fast. No, I know. I know someone else. She's way faster than him. You know what I mean? So um, you just got to get good at it where you're comfortable. You execute your plan, you, you know, and then you're ready for that next step. And then that 50 miler, that 100 K, that 100 miler, um, if you want to do that. Another thing I tell people, too, is don't think you want to do something. Learn if you actually want to do it. 100 milers can be like kind of sexy and cool and fun. Maybe some people go, oh, that's such a huge accomplishment. Man, you don't know if you're going to like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think you really have to um, test the waters a little bit. Um, it gets very different after 100K. So those would kind of be my tips is like make one goal. Focus on it. Do not make plans for after that achieve that goal and reevaluate and say, did I actually like that? Cause you know, you might not like being on your feet for 12 hours or 24 hours or somewhere in between or more or whatever you have to test the water. So, so just keep moving up on distance. Great. Thanks for that. What do you, what do you think, Mark? Uh, is it a per- perk to your interest for an ultra maybe for your first race? Uh- I think, uh, you know what, for my first race, I don't think so. I think I need to start out, you know, maybe at the 60 uh, meter uh, <laughs> dash first. Or, or what's the one over in Detroit, the 0.5K with uh, David yeah. Chuck there? So uh, maybe oh, we'll start yeah, there. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. Well, Casey, you, you touched on something. That's something that I've seen too. I, I started running in about 2016, 2017, started ramping up uh, seriously, become a, more running. And uh, I would say a lot of the interest for the ultra runners is, you know, large in part to yourself, the We Ultra team, uh, the Malden Park runners that you uh, that you promote and on Facebook, and the runs that you hold. So a lot of kudos goes out because I think that they see others in the area doing these big audacious things and say, you know what, I'm going to give that a shot too. So I just got to say kudos for that because without that, I don't, I would, I'd have a hard time understanding of what others naturally want to progress into a 50k a 50 mile 100 mile and beyond so yeah well it i i love the background so you started with running from a bet from your sister-in-law you're going to run the detroit marathon you gave yourself a year uh you finished you decided to maybe ramp down the the, the race distances you crewed and or helped pace a buddy to the finish line of, a, of, a, of an ultra in Michigan. And then you started your ultra running journey. And what I love about your book, uh, Running and Rambling, and we'll link it in the show notes, is that uh, you chronicle that and an evolution from, uh, I would say, a writer from your early days of maybe doing some race recaps, uh, some of your thoughts on your training into like more in-depth life lessons, the meaning 
that's coming from all this stuff that you're experiencing, you can see the evolution. And I, I totally loved it from the, from the book, but maybe walk us through it. What, what drove you after a successful running career to start to put your thoughts to paper and write a book? Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, with running, especially with ultra running, you got a lot of time on your hands, you know? So, and it's, and like I said, I do a lot of solo stuff too. As much as I love running with a group and I, I, it's my preference, I, I do have to do some solo running to kind of sharpen the brain. And I do a little less of it now because I do rely on some experience. But especially at the beginning, I was a big believer in just, you know, doing a lot of stuff on my own. So, you know, the kids were growing, um, really have a good life, um, good job, excellent, just an awesome wife and kids and my family supportive very supportive. Um, but a lot of time, right? So you have a lot of time to think. And I think a lot of runners like to either write or they're into their numbers, their data, stuff like that. So it, it, it did start untapping my need to, to want to write and express myself. Um, definitely reading did that too, right? Like my wife really encouraged me to read more. And when I did, I was just fascinated with the art of writing and expression. Um, and I wasn't, I don't think I was very good at it. Um, I think that shows at the beginning of the book. And I left it raw the way that it was because it kind of emulated my running too. Um, I thought I was a good runner. I thought I was a good writer. Now I look back and I kind of cringe at some of it. But, you know, even in my purpose of running and stuff like that. So the book kind of started with me just wanting to express. And then I started kind of remembering too, like I did do a lot of writing and through high school. Um, and it's funny cause I recently found some journals from high school and I just like boggled my mind. It's like, Oh my God, I think I loved this a long time ago. And I kind of forgot about it. Right. Like life gets busy and you know, marriage and kids and your career and all that. But as I get older and my kids got older and I think I matured a little bit more. I started like kind of remembering another passion of mine, which was to write and express. And writing and expressing too was just like a way of sharing. So like I said, when I got into this, not a lot of people in this area, if any, were really doing it. I could probably count easily on one hand of anyone I heard of doing anything more than a marathon distance. Um, I loved it so much. I wanted to share that. So, you know, I started posting stuff and writing stuff and it definitely, I think, encouraged some others. And I do believe that um, anyone can do this stuff. So, yeah, I would just kind of describe what was happening in my life and uh, what was happening with my running. And like I said, when you're training for ultras, you're spending a lot of time out there. So there's a lot of time to think and process. So that's kind of what what did it. And, um, yeah, I just started kind of chron you know chronicling what I was doing like jotting down whether it's my daily runs like what what's in the book is probably only about half of what I wrote over those 10 years um so parsing through that was pretty hard but uh tried to keep the stuff that was you know highlighted I guess the journey so yeah it just untapped my uh my uh you know, my enjoyment of, of writing. So you touch on something that's so important. And, uh, it was advice that we were even given for some of our friends too, is you're right. When you look back 
your first of anything is going to be terrible. Um, it's, it's not going to, because it's your first time. You have no base. You, you have no uh, no experience. And it's fun to actually look back and, and see the growth, right? Let's to look back and say, look how far we've actually come. It, it, it's interesting. Uh, you can see that evolution in the book. Uh, Mark, you were going to share something there. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, it's evident in the book that you're not the only talented writer in the family. Uh, there is a submission from uh, Ruby um, in uh, as uh, a letter to your daughter. Now, is it common for your dog to write your daughter letters? Are there multiple letters over the years that have been written? Uh, but the advice within that chapter, you know, very nice, uh, very um it resonated with me as well, but uh, just yeah, curious if that was just a way of communicating different things to your family members. Yeah, so I I like to joke with my daughters. Um, I, I you know I also like to give them life lessons. Um, I I do that in various ways. I try to be creative. Um, you know, as 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 much as I am stern, I'm also try to do it in a fun way. Um, and uh, yeah, we use every outlet we have. And uh, the dog's been a big part of our life. It was part of raising our girls. She, you know, Ruby was uh, still still a huge part of our family. She's getting up there in age. She's an old girl now, but uh, she's still hanging on. And uh, she's she's just been a great dog. And uh, yeah, she's been a big part of my life of of running. She's part of a lot of the We Ultra events we put on. Um, she's a fan favorite for sure. And uh, yeah, but we definitely, um, I, you know, I wanted to include a lot of that stuff in the book about raising my girls and, uh, and uh, just going through marriage and life and, you know, whether it's work and, you know, social interactions and friends and um, something I, I'm not sure the book really hits on though is because it kind of started after, but when I got into running a little bit like before where the book starts, um, I was not social in any way. Um, I was extremely shy. Uh, that was the majority of my childhood. And, and through my teenage years, my young adolescence, I was just, I was very, very shy. And um, running opened me up to people and really enjoying company and not being so shy. And it, it, it made me kind of stronger that way. And uh, I used a lot of that stuff to like give lessons to my girls. Like I, like, my two girls are very different. Like I'm sure like a lot of people who have two kids, they're opposites of each other. And I have one very kind of shy, reserved one and one very crazy, wild, outgoing one. You know, finding the happy medium for both of them was important. So I would do that through through writing. And um, I would do little subtle things like writing letters from the dog, but it's really from mom and dad, right? Um, and stuff like that. And um, it's funny too, because my oldest is uh, um, an English major and um, she just graduated with an undergrad in English writing and uh, there's a couple stories in the book from her as well and uh, it's neat to see some of that maybe rub off you know and uh, I definitely try to do that to inspire both of them to work hard and you know take care of themselves and and to have friends and and be part of the community whether it's you know doing charitable work, stuff like that. So definitely writing the book became a tool as well to remind myself of, you know, raising the girls and having a good marriage and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think uh, just a common thread between all three of us here is that we are all fathers of two girls. So, uh, and, uh, and we also have a fan of Jennifer's over there in Todd's camp too. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, uh, Casey, there was a story in the book that really intrigued me. Um, I think it was called uh, Broken. And okay. something in that story came out for me. And, it, and I quote on it, it says, but something changed at about mile 20. I saw something for the first time in all my years running. I saw something other than the actual pavement. What, what were you referring to there? Was it that you realized um, that running was more than running? Like, what, what, help us understand that. I, I love that. I love that little that story. Yeah, I, I think when I wrote that story, I was going through one of those uh, what I call runner hangovers. I, I still go through them. Uh, you know, we all have these highs and lows. This is very, very normal. Like sometimes when running too much. Um, just overtraining or just mental exhaustion, physical exhaustion. So at the time that I wrote that, it was just, and I was always, I always try to be honest with people and like, I want them to see the good, the bad. I want to see them. I want them to see when I fail at things and when I succeed at things because the failure is important. But when I did the the broken post story, it was, um, I was feeling that. Right. And I started remembering back to like, you know, I, I was also, at ease with being broken. And I remembered back to um, basically my qualifying race for, for Boston. And um, what I talk about is at that point, I was so focused on running. I remember my wife used to tell me, and you know, my wife, Jennifer used to tell me, Hey, um, you go, we went on a run or you did this race or this marathon, whatever. What do you remember? And I would come home and say, remember, I don't remember anything. What do you, what do you mean? And, uh, when I wrote that, I was reflecting back on when I started actually paying attention of not just the pavement in front of me, but the people on the sidelines, maybe cheering for me, um, you know, a beer with my friends afterwards. Um, those started becoming the important things of running, the laughter, the story, the maybe meeting somebody on the run and sharing a mile with them and chatting them up. Where are they from? Where am I from? What do you do? You know, stuff like that. Like, and so much of that has happened through my life and through my years that that's really what running is about. So when I wrote Broken, I was like kind of just talking about, you know, yeah, going through like that broken phase of running and that hangover phase, but then also reflecting back on like why I love running and what it's done for me and, and how it's helped me cope with ups and downs, highs and lows and stuff like that. So but biggest thing is like observation. And a lot of that too came from um, reading another book that's called um, Run Gently Out There. And it, it's all about pausing. It's all about not being wrapped up in your times, your numbers, your speeds, all that stuff. Like it's okay, pause your watch and you know, sit at the lake and re really watch that sunrise or that sunset or the waves crashing in or whatever it is. It's okay. You know what I mean? No one's really keeping score. You're not going to the Olympics. So that, that's kind of what I was referring to. I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. When you think about, there are some folks out there that are constantly comparing themselves to others, comparing themselves to what they used to be um, or what they're going to be. And they lose sight of the the fun of running itself. Like I see so much truth in that in myself because I would say that I found myself probably getting caught up in that when I first started running 2018, 2019. Then injury kind of slowed me down and slowing me down healing myself, learning about running, just opened up everything. And it's all about that experience, like having a beer uh, with your friend afterwards or like, you know, we ran, I ran Berlin with Harvey this year and uh, 
you know what, in the past I would say, yeah, just like you, I finished a marathon. I don't remember anything other than just pounding the pavement. But this time, yeah, I remember the feeling of running through Brandenburg Gate, the feeling of seeing the the family on the sidelines and reminding myself, hey, go over there and, and chat with them for a little bit because the extra two or three minutes it adds on, it doesn't mean anything anyway. You're here to have fun. So Casey, you're bang on. What What do you think? Why do you think some folks fail to see that? That they concentrate too much on the competitive yeah. side. Yeah, well, like, don't get me wrong. I still think that we should all work hard. And I think there's a time and place. And some of that, like, like I'm a big believer. I, I try to put in one hard effort a week. I'm a one hard effort a week guy. Maybe when I'm like really working and I'm in my mega block, maybe two times a week. So I still believe in working hard. Um, I just believe in, you know, stepping back and smelling the roses too and looking around. But why people fail to see it, honestly, I I think they need more social interaction in their life. You know, have friends, be part of a group, really take a look and appreciate the person who's running a 12-minute mile as much as the person running the six-minute mile. Um, that's something that I saw many years ago that kind of made me really you know, change my mindset of running. Um, I was relatively fast and could hang with pretty much anybody um, or in the area. Sure, there was some that could pull away from me for sure, but but I could hang with that lead group. Um, I saw a lot of people who were kind of more back of the Packers, not really get in on that inner circle and you know, and it's like super fast people aren't recognizing maybe these, you know, relatively like kind of slower people. And it's like, you know, or, or giving kudos to people because they win age group awards and stuff. And then that other person, it's like, well, that other person worked their butt off. You know, this person who won the age group award, I'm sorry, but you're kind of born with some of that talent. Like I, I was, I'm kind of one of those people like, my my body type is a little bit more of a runner's body type thing. You know, uh, it's easier for me, I think, just genetically to kind of be in runner shape. And I look at some other people who got to work really hard. Like I got some friends that are just like, they, they grind way harder than me. Yeah, they're, they're super tough and they need to be acknowledged too. And so some people don't get it because it's just too easy for them maybe. And it's too easy for them to be fast and to be really good. And and stuff like that. So I, I think if you have friends and you look around and you love your friends and you appreciate them, it changes your your outlook and you start to 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 see different things on your own runs. I'd say on behalf of uh, all us guys with dad bods, we appreciate that, Casey. So uh, thank you for the acknowledgement there. Um, and I just had to ask too, I know that um, you mentioned earlier about the numbers. Uh, you also have a little segment in your book uh, regarding uh, running with numbers. Are you still without a Garmin? I know you're not anti-Garmin, but uh, the numbers aren't everything, right? Yeah, so I, I, I dropped it for years. Um, drove my friends crazy because I am a huge numbers guy. Um, you know, um, yeah, engineer by trade and uh, you know, keep, I'm a big stats guy and everything else. So anyway, when I dropped my watch though, um, and stopped kind of keeping track of things, it was because it was too wrapped up in data. I was too wrapped up in like not listening to my body and stuff like that. You know, I was getting a few years into it and, um, uh, I wasn't doing the basics of like just 
going off feel and really getting good at it, not letting my watch tell me what to do. And one day, one of my friends said to me, who was much more experienced than me, and he said, uh, why, do you, why do you wear a GPS? Like, why do you wear a watch and keep track of your pace? And I said, well, so that I know what I can do. And he looked at me and said, well, maybe your watch is slowing you down, like not making you faster. Because I kind of use it as like, oh, my watch makes me faster because I know in training I can do this. So therefore, this is what I'm going to do in a race. And he said, well, maybe if you didn't have a watch and you just ran off a of feel because, you know, he knew I was had enough years in me at that point. He's like, maybe it's slowing you down. Maybe you could do more than that. Um, so I dropped it and I dropped it for years. and It was the best thing I ever did because I stopped worrying about speed. I really got in touch with looking around even more and I didn't obsess over numbers. So I think I trained a little better for a while. Um, trained a little smarter, um, but then I did come back to it. Um, a few years ago, um, I got a Coros, which is uh, really good for ultras because the battery life is great. Um, I liked it because the data was simple and, you know, with the phone apps and everything else. So it had been a long time since I had used any kind of GPS device. Um, and it was a breath of fresh air because it, of its simplicity and the fact that it's just like feels like a normal watch and I wear it every day just as a timepiece. You know what I mean? So um, the last few years, I would say the last maybe three years have been back to wearing it, but I, I, I really don't obsess over my numbers. I look at uh, the distance and like I was saying earlier, I was driving my friends crazy because when I wasn't wearing a watch, I would just say, Hey, uh, roughly how long was that? And they would be like, Oh, we did 10 miles. And I'm like, okay, well I ran to your house first. And I would just say, Oh, I roughly had about 12 miles today or something. I kind of lowball estimated everything for many years, but it was, at that point, I was pretty in touch with or pretty in tune with my pace and stuff like that. So, I think, I, I, yeah, that's super important. And think about probably all the base building you were doing during that time of just like learning to listen to what your body's saying, run by feel, uh, yeah. how you feeling in the morning. That, that all that stuff is really important. Mark is a new runner. Uh, this summer, he was experiencing all that. You know, uh, yeah. So something I did for a while that would, especially Mark as a new runner, like. I think this works to tell them, I tell a lot of people to do it is it's great. Wear a watch and everything, but don't look at it. Don't look at it. I know that's hard to resist sometimes when you're out there and you're running stuff, but don't look at it and, and try to estimate what you're running. Uh, you'll get pretty good at it. Um, you know, you can do a lot of games with running. Um, you can play a lot of internal games and do things that motivate yourself. I would do that a lot. I would, you know, when I wasn't running with a watch, I would literally just look at the clock when I would walk out the door and then I'd look at the clock when I walked back in the door and said, oh, that took me 47 minutes. But when I was out on the run, I was trying to gauge that. I was trying to say, okay, I want to run in a seven-minute mile, a nine-minute mile, whatever it was I was doing that day, I would try to estimate that. Well, I think that made made me more in tune with um, knowing what my body could do over different distances and stuff. So to the point where even today – I. I'm, I'm usually pretty decent at just guessing what our pace is and pretty much having it within 10 seconds a mile. So it, it really teaches you to, to pay attention to yourself and listen to your breathing and, and your strides and all that kind of stuff. So uh, dropping a watch is good or at least not always being obsessed about it is really good for you.
That's ex- excellent advice. Excellent advice. And how, from your uh, from your observation, uh, how's the book doing? Uh, is it meeting your expectations? Is it? Well, uh, it yeah, it's blowing away my expectations. Um, you know, I had a rough idea. I said, "Oh well, we're gonna." You know, I, I never did this to make any kind of money at all. I I've set the book price as low as I could, basically, um, to, to to really make kind of pennies on the book. Um, it's cause it's not about that. Um, had kind of an idea. I said, well, you know, I got 20 knucklehead friends out there who are just going to humor me and buy it. Um, figured, you know, oh, maybe we'll sell 20 or 40 books or something. And it's more along the line of a couple hundred now and beyond. Fantastic. So it's pretty cool. It's been all over the, like, I, I think we sold three or four copies in Australia or something. So it's oh, pretty great. And it's been really an amazing experience. Uh, I think my favorite part is a lot of people who are non-runners are buying it. And um, so many positive comments. And it's just been awesome. Uh, it, it It's blown me away. It, it's It's been great. And what I really enjoy about it, too, is the bite-sized stories in it. Uh, so for myself, uh, I bought the Kindle version, so I have it on my phone. And I'm able to, you know, page through a few stories uh, just, you know, throughout the day and whatnot. And it's uh, an easy way to consume it. So, uh, yeah, thank you for putting it in that format. It's great. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. I'm glad you enjoy it. I think a lot of people have enjoyed that aspect of it. It's, um, you know, like, uh, again, I, I did it with a lot of, like, my friends in mind and stuff. And not everyone is big readers. I get that. And um, I enjoy reading small, short stories. Um, I definitely took a lot of inspiration from uh, Gary Cantrell's writings. Um, I read, I think I've read all of his books that he's published. And I like the style of like musings and short stories and random blurbs and stuff like that. So that definitely inspired me. Um, Plus, I just think that it is a, you know, really, no one wants to read all the detail of my boring life. So I try to put highlights, right? And maybe try to mix in some humor and stuff. Um, definitely, um, I like Sean Dietrich as a writer as well. So there's a few people that I follow that I really like their style and try to emulate a little bit. At the same time, try to be myself too. So um, just like running, I guess. Um, I, I do yeah. the same thing in running. I, I think Todd knows a little bit about it. Um, I, I'm not big on standard running. I like to change it up and get people uncomfortable and, um, love to infuse, uh, math into it and some different formats and stuff too. So I try to do the same thing with writing. Is, is that where the, uh, the nickname, the mean race director came from? Maybe you can, for those oh. who, are, who are listening, uh, Casey's alter ego, I would say is the mean race director because he's the race director of the, of the far. So that, yeah, that's a- yeah. Um, man, I wish I could remember who came up with that nickname, but uh, um, I like to think of myself as a nice guy. Um, people just misinterpret um, <laughs> my way of being nice. Um, I'm a tough love guy. Um, I don't believe in sugarcoating things. I will tell my friends when I believe that they're going to fail because they haven't prepared enough. I will tell them that they're in over their head. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And um, too bad. Uh, 
hopefully they love me for it. Or, and if they don't, it doesn't matter because I'm going to be honest with them. And um, so with doing some of our events, especially the FAR, and I think it did come from the FAR, um, it's a very cruel event, um, but it's very doable. Um, it's a hundred miler around Windsor, Essex County, about 103 miles or 102 or depends who that, you ask. It's that funny math that Casey uh, mentioned earlier. It's hundred miles. <laughs> it's a little bit longer than a hundred miles. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think the first few years, um, people got a heavy dose of reality and, uh, started, you know, just one day someone just kind of came across the finish line maybe or something like that and kind of started it and said, you know, I, I always call myself a run director, not a race director, because they're not official races. We don't charge money. They're group runs only. And uh, it's not about competition. It's about finishing. So, you know, they would, I would always kind of like when we put out the book of fire and everything, it was like, okay, I'm the run director, uh, you know, the leader of the committee, but there's a committee that makes decisions and stuff. Well, maybe one or two people kind of just decided one year that you're the, you're the, the mean run director or the mean <laughs> kind of, it kind of stuck through the years and I've kind of really liked it because, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a tough love guy and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you, Oh, just try hard. Cause that's a bunch of BS trying hard. Ain't going to do nothing for you. Yeah. 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 You have to, you have to put in the work. If you put in the work, uh, when you go to give it a try, you'll be much more uh, prone for success, whatever that success looks yeah. like. I'm, I'm totally with you. Yeah, I, like I, I always... gave the far an attempt once, and I think it was 2021. I made it from your house to uh, Leamington in that heat. And uh, next thing you know, I'm in a Harvey swimming pool tapping out because I thought <laughs> I couldn't even take another step. An hour later, right. I was fine. I shouldn't have tapped out. I was like, hey, this is right. fine. So that's what it's you get. You get learning. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely the lessons of the fire for sure. No, Casey, for those I, who don't know, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say for those who don't know, far what, what does it stand for? So it's F A W R. So it's capital F, capital A, a lowercase W, and a capital R. So it's the first annual We Ultra Run. Um, we've done it seven times, six times. We're going on seven this summer, but it's always the first annual, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And we ultra, we just, um, it's Windsor Essex County ultra runners and we've always lower cased the W E for Windsor Essex. And we emphasize the ultra, um, it just, you know, whatever, just play on words and letters and stuff like that, which I love doing and putting little nuggets in places and things for people to, to try to figure out. So, uh, yeah, we did it one year saying that it was the intention was we were going to go around the County. And we were only going to do it once. So we called it the first annual, which there's no such thing as the first annual because you can't have an, you can't call it an annual until you do it the second time. So <laughs> I did true. that as a joke, knowing that we would never do it again. So, um, so and then when we wanted to do it again, uh, I said, well, I'm not calling it the second. I'm going to keep calling it the first because we're never going to do it again but we keep doing it. <laughs> keep doing it. And how many people do you think are going to do it this year? Well, I usually cap it at 50 and okay. I usually fill the field. Um, we'll see about this year. I, uh, maybe there might be a little more interest. I got a lot of out of towners and stuff like that. It's, it's growing. It's kind of crazy, but I need to keep it to what it, you know, I want to keep it to its roots and, 
that kind of grassroots feel and it's, it's never going to become a race. It's, it's a run. It's a run. That, that's, that's a, uh, I appreciate that distinction because there is a big difference between a race and a run. And I would yeah. say that I look at your, your, your running, uh, your log, you've done all the big races and kudos this summer, you finally got your ticket punched for Western States. Um, how'd that go? Like, tell us about Western States for those, uh, you know, dialing in and, and listening to this podcast, Western States, I believe is the oldest hundred mile ultra marathon in the world. And it's almost impossible to get into. So Casey, tell us about the, the yeah, Western so States. Run. When I, when I first ran my, like, actually when I ran JFK going all the way back to 2013 or 13 or 14, when I ran JFK, JFK used to be a Western States qualifier. So there used to be a couple 50 milers and a few hundred Ks and hundred milers that got you qualifiers. So I wasn't going to bite off more than I could chew. I was like, oh, let's get a 50 mile qualifier. And about two weeks before JFK was run, they pulled it from the qualifying list. But that was the beginning of my journey was at that point, I ran JFK to qualify for Western States. Um, At that time, if you got two, three, maybe four years, you were going to get in. By by the fourth year, you were pretty much getting in. Um, boy, did things change over the the next ten years. So I qualified every year. Um, you know, you ha- at that point when I started, and for most of my qualifying process, you had to qualify every single year. If you missed a year, you lost all your tickets. So that meant running a qualifying hundred miler every year. Now the rules have changed a little bit the last couple years, and it's definitely easier now because. You can skip a year and keep your tickets. You keep your tickets for a lifetime, basically. Wasn't like that for the first six or seven years of of qualifying. I had to keep doing this. So a lot of it was about like kind of that attrition thing, right? It's like, who doesn't get injured? How do you keep running hundreds every year without getting injured? Um, And that that appealed to me, right? Again, it wasn't a speed thing. It was like durability mattered and stuff. But, But Western States was, it's the Boston Marathon of ultra trail running. Right. And, um, it, you know, it was pretty amazing back then looking at it and seeing what people were doing and the, the hype around it. And it definitely had that shiny car look and feel to it. And it's like, wow, I really want to do that. Like the Boston marathon. Right. And, um, it never lost its luster through 10 years of qualifying. And, um, in my ninth year, I got to go because my good buddy, Derek, he got his ticket pulled. We started the, the journey together. Uh, he got his ticket pulled. So I was able to go crew and pay some. And man, it really reinforced my will to keep qualifying. And then luckily the next year, I got my ticket pulled. So I got to go this summer and uh, it lived up to it. It was a, just an amazing experience. My race didn't go perfect. Um, there was a lot of snow in the high country. I blistered really bad early on but I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, didn't hit my time goal, missed it by three hours really from where I wanted to be, what I felt I was in shape for, but uh, I would not trade it. It was just, it was, it was awesome. Um, the volunteers out there, uh, the course is, the course is great. Um, it's hard and challenging in its own way. It's not the hardest one by far, not even close to what I've done, but um the the energy surrounding it was second to none um and i got that 
taste the summer before with going with Derek. So, um, yeah, Absolutely. it was awesome. It was you my experience goal. a little bit of it. Exactly. That's the, yeah, yeah just it was always my goal with ultras. Yeah. So, uh, right away I picked Western States as, as the one to go to and got a little frustrating through the years. I'm not going to lie. I was very frustrating, very frustrated at times, almost to the point of, you know, kind of giving up and I'm not chasing a qualifier anymore because you kind of get pigeonholed into having to do certain races and, you know, geographically or, or you got to travel all over the place, which is not cheap. Um, sometimes you want, you're doing races that you don't even want to do or, or you want to do less than something else. And that's what happened as my running kept developing was I, I wanted to do these other things that really appeal to me, but they're not Western States qualifiers. So I had to put some of those on hold. Um, because I just can't fit everything in and I, you know, I can't fit it in. I don't want to fit it in. It's not healthy to fit it all in either. I don't want to be running hundreds every month and stuff like that. So I had to sacrifice a lot of sometimes some real true wants because I had to stick to that original goal. But, you know, you get so invested into it. Like I do tell some friends, I'm like, man, if you're going to go for Western States, you know, you better get your mind focused on eight to 10 years. It's probably what it's going to take to get in. So, and that's a, that's a big commitment, right? So it in itself, that in itself is running an ultra. <laughs> so you got to develop that patience. Eight to 10 years is a long time to, to be training yeah. and, and putting in the work and, and getting those qualifying races to build the tickets to, to get your ticket pulled. So that's unbelievable. Yeah. Out of uh, curiosity, uh, you mentioned that, um, over the years, they've relaxed some of the qualification or qualification requirements. Why do you think that is? Um, it's pretty inclusive, right? Like they, they want to give everyone a, a chance. Like Western States is very different from some other big ones like Hard Rock. They don't want anyone to run that. You need to run very strict qualifiers. You're going to work because Hard Rock's a really tough race. Um, well, they all are, but it's exceptionally tough. It might be might be the hardest hundred miler in North America if you exclude Barkley. Um, but uh, they're, I guess their missions are different, right? Like Western States wants it to be accessible to anybody. So you can still get into Western States with a few hundred K qualifiers and stuff. Um, you just got to be more persistent. Um, I guess Hard Rock, you got to be persistent too. It's just the qualifications that the qualifying races for Hard Rock are a lot less and they're way, way harder. Um, Western States is just like a little more open arms, right? And it's a little bit bigger field too, like about 360, 370 runners, whereas Hard Rock, I think, is maybe 150. So they've loosened some of the things too because there's also a lot of sponsorship and hype and everything else that I think Western States embodies that. They want that, you know what I mean? And they do want the, the kind, that kind of that, that famous race or that prestigious race. It's... And they want it for anyone to imagine doing. Some people go to Western States and can't finish it, but they're just happy that they got there. So it's That's different amazing. mindsets and they're both equally good. So. so Casey, like maybe for the runners listening to the podcast, what does training for an ultra look like for Casey? Uh, think about maybe mm -hmm. during your base well, building phase. Well, I would say now, like, uh, 
what you know now is probably the advice you'd give to a younger Casey would be some pretty sage and sound advice. So what does yeah, training like, look like now? Yeah, like when you're starting out, like if you're going for your first 100 miler, following a plan is extremely important. I think I, I do believe I'm still a plan guy. I just, I make my own plans now and they're a lot, uh, I think more intense than what is really needed to finish a hundred miler because I'm also not always picking the easiest ones. <laughs> I keep saying no more hard races. So anyway, I think when I started, I, I definitely followed plans like relentless forward progress has some like beginner and intermediate plans to follow. They're really good. And really you start with like kind of, you know, you got to be able to start at a level of marathon training and then kind of ramping up. And, and I do the roller coaster system. Um, so kind of build up for three, four weeks, recover for a week with a slight dip and then build up again for another three or four weeks. And I'm a big guy that I'm, I'm a big believer, I mean, in um, back to backs and what I call triples and stuff like that. So I did a ton of that right by the book. So if you're not familiar, you know, back to backs are like 20 mile Saturday, 20 mile Sunday. Um, I'll do three or four of those leading up to a hundred miler at a minimum as a beginner. Um, triples, I, I, I like doing a triple about three weeks out. So that's about 15 miles on a Friday night, 20 to 25 miles on a Saturday morning and sun and 20 miles on a Sunday morning. So, um, in a span of maybe 36 to 40 hours, you're, you're logging maybe 50 to 60 miles with a couple sleeps in between enough to get you sore so that you learn to run on sore legs. So I'm, uh, my friends will give me crap for this too. I'm like, I'm a bonk runner. I like to experience bonking. I like to experience depletions. Um, it's, it's so against the books. I shouldn't even say this, but I do a lot <laughs> of that kind of stuff too. But that's only because I think maybe I've gotten into some crazier stuff as years have gone on. So, um, you know, doing 20 milers with no water, no food, stuff like that, um, just sharpens the mind. I find. I think it's strength and experiment of one, right? We're, we all, we're all unique. So, uh. <laughs> yeah. so it's different today and, and it depends. Like lately I've been doing a lot of like kind of some really extreme mountain ultras. Um, so I do a lot of climbing on the treadmill. So it depends, right? Like some of my miles, maybe, you know, when I'm peaking, I'm running, I used to peak at 80 to hundred miles a week. I don't do that anymore. I'm more of a, my groove is 50 to 60 miles is when I feel the best. So when I'm peaking now more like 70 to 80 mile weeks, but uh, depending on what I'm running, some of those miles would be hiking on a treadmill on a 12 or 15% incline. So uh, very specific on training, walking, training, hiking, you know, that walking with purpose, that like speed walking type thing, because you got to change the muscles up. So, but lately I've been getting back into speed work and everything. And I know that that's helped me too. So changing it up now is big, but yeah, if someone's getting into ultras, learn to walk, <laughs> get your walking muscles good. And specifically like I've gone out and done 20 mile walks you know, just to get good at walking so that your, your walking pace can be, you know, I'm a miles guy. I know Todd, you're a kilometers guy. Um, I'm a miles guy, everything, but, uh, you know, you get your, I would go out and train my walks. And, you know, when I was first going, it's like 18, 19 minute walks. Well, you know, now it's, you know, 14 and 15 minute miles when I, uh, 
when I walk, but a specific training for that. Like I have days that are just walking and hiking days. Oh, that's excellent. I, I'm totally with you. I, I, that was part of my kind of build too, was to get to be a good walker. Sounds funny, but you can make up a lot of time by walking with a purpose rather than like a, a library stroll and, and know the difference. And, uh, it's important. It's, more importantly, it's, it's a mental break, but it's a physical break too. Your body needs to change. Like I, I, I did a lot of that when I was training for uh, Vol State. Your body needs a change, right? So you can walk yourself into the ground. You can run yourself into the ground. But if you change it back and forth, every time you're running, you're giving your walking muscles a break. When you're walking, you're giving your running muscles a break. So, and it's good for the mind too. Like it, it just is. It, it's a, there's some gameplay in there. You know, you can you can change your paces, your distances. You can play around with ratios and stuff like that. And, you know, you got a lot of time out there if you're running ultras. So you got to, you got to learn to do those things. Absolutely. Now we had a submitted question from one of our listeners. And uh, so you've had a lot of experience running races uh, over the years. What has been the greatest aid station food that you've tasted throughout all your years? Oh man, That's some good ones. Um, Honestly, I think the lifesaver maybe isn't the best. Well, it's pretty good tasting. Uh, there's nothing better than soup in the middle of the night. There's nothing better than a nice salty chicken noodle soup. Um, I do have one distinct memory. I had cream of potato soup at about mile 70 or 80 of Cloud Splitter in Kentucky in the middle of the night in the pouring rain. It was just heaven in a cup. So I, I like my, that. My mind went somewhere else for a second. I thought it was going to be more of a, it was a no. terrible choice, but no, no. <laughs> no. You know, you learn to develop an iron stomach too. That takes some years to do because uh, I can also tell you running the far and sliding into the McDonald's and grabbing a, a nice, a, an ice cold Coca-Cola. It just hits the spot, right? You might pay for it a little bit later, but boy, does it taste good. So. <laughs> Well, well, uh, Casey, uh, we just want to thank you for for your time to come on the the show and to walk a little bit through your running journey, share your book with us, and uh, it's nice to have a a friend of the podcast. Now, uh, we're gonna like refer to you as uh, the ultra <laughs> guy. Whoever has any questions, we're gonna come to you um, as the expert well, in, in I, anything. I've been known ultra. to give us bad advice too, so. <laughs> Well, for the for the newbies, any advice is good advice, right, Mark? So we, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take the judgment until after the race and 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 figure that out. But uh, absolutely, we really want to thank you, Casey. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, if I can, if I can say one thing in terms of advice, I'd, I'd leave it with this: is uh, someone once told me if you could, there's two things you should have in ultra running. You should have training, and you should have like a tough mental game, right? You should. Those are the two big characteristics. But if you could just have one of them, you better pick the training. No, that, that's great advice. advice. That's great. We'll take that away for, okay. uh, for you know, my first race, whenever it may be. Um, but I really appreciate the, you know, all the little nuggets you've shared with us over the last hour. Thank you very much. Awesome. Yes. You're welcome. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you, Casey. Best of luck with all your running. Thanks. You too.
We thank Casey for joining the podcast. You can find Casey's book, Running and Rambling, A Decade of Chronicles and Reflection, on Amazon. And you can find Casey on Instagram. It's Casey Theveridge, C-A-S-E-Y-T-H-I-V-I-E-R-G-E. We hope you enjoyed the show.